Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. There's war here, there's war there, there's war everywhere. It's Season 1, Episode 14, The War Without, The War Within, in Star Trek Discovery. And here we are on Transporter Lock, the weekly Star Trek Discovery podcast. I'm your co-host, Ken, and joining me is Bree. Hello, Bree. Hi, Ken. How are you this week? As I have said before, I am increasingly sad as we approach the season finale of Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, oh, this is, we're heading towards dark dark times. I know. I mean, we have one episode left. The season finale called Will You Take My Hand comes out in less than a week. Actually, if you were like me, I had no idea what the last episode was until you told me. If you don't want spoilers, everyone, uh, turn off your ears about 15 seconds ago. (laughs) All we've said is the name of the episode, which doesn't often imply very much, in, in my opinion. In Star Trek, it's been pretty good. It probably means something after you've seen the episode. Right. Like this one, actually, I think this one actually is very much, okay, we know exactly what's going on. Right. The war without the war within, because there Uh are a lot of wars. The USS Discovery has made their way back from the mirror universe to the prime universe, and they are faced with a nine-month absence during which the Klingons turn the tide of their war against the Federation and are winning. I would say some of our predictions are based off some faulty information given by Star Trek. Right, because last week they said that based on their star maps, the Klingons won the war. But this week they said the Klingons have claimed 20% of Federation space. Yeah, that's what I heard anyway, if anyone wants to correct that. Even second viewing, I'm pretty sure he said 20% of Federation space, which doesn't seem to, seems to conflict with how perilous the situation is. Right. The last time I saw the Federation in such dire straits was when Worf accidentally jumped into a timeline where the Borg won the Battle at Wolf 359 and Sector 001. Yeah, or, or there's the episode where uh, yesterday's Enterprise, where the Federation was at war with the Klingons. Which is another timeline in which the Klingons were winning the war. Yeah. Huh. I guess this seems to imply that without temporal intervention... Klingons will always win their wars against the humans. Apparently. <laughs> we gotta fight dirty. <laughs> the other war in the title, of course, refers to the inner struggle of Voke slash Ash Tyler, who has had his psyche remapped yet again, and now he doesn't know who he is. But we'll get to that. I think for the first yeah. part of this podcast, we want to focus on the whole Klingon debacle and how the USS Discovery is responding to it. Yeah, I think there's also more to the war within than just Voke and Ash Tyler, but we'll get to that in a bit. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's a third player there, but w- as you said, we will save that for last. Yeah. So one of the first main points of action in this week's episode was the ship getting boarded by another Federation ship. They didn't even bother to hail, which is weird to me because I thought Discovery had their shields up, but the other Federation ship was still able to board them. Yeah, there was talk about this, and, you know, it's a Star Trek hand-wavy thing if uh, someone knows the code to get your shield through shields, apparently you can beam through them, but that's, you know, never been really used before in any other Star Trek, or if it has, it's been a one-time plot device, and so it seems what, that's what activated here, too. Kind of like the prefix code, which we never saw outside of Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, 
Like, oh no, we need a plot device, quick, beam through their shields. Right. <laughs> or activate the plot device. Or, I only saw the episode once, maybe they didn't get their shields up fast enough? It, it also is possible. I mean, shields can take, I mean, depending on the plot needs, they can be instantaneous, or they can be, oh, they gotta warm up first. Right, because the Discovery was dramatically damaged in its journey through the mycelial network. Yeah. Which we saw, lots of sparks flying here and there and everywhere. So that obviously, like, like yeah, we had fuses blowing everywhere. So there were three main members of the boarding party that I want to point out. Of course, Admiral Cornwell made her triumphant return, and she is fully healed from her time aboard the Klingon prison ship. Mm-hmm. At least physically. Yes, yes, that's true. Physically. She is up and about again. She is taking quite the commando role for someone who is supposed to be, what, a psychologist? <laughs> Admiral's got to do it, and Admiral's got to do it. <laughs> You're in war. Of course, we saw Sarek again, which... He's not a member of Starfleet, so it's kind of surprising to see him right alongside the Admiral. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, and again, he said that he does what the times demand, but he is supposed to be a diplomatic ambassador. And here he is basically mind-grilling people without their consent. Yeah, uh, mind melds. I even actually just watched the episode yesterday of Enterprise where Enterprise made the allegory that mind meld is like AIDS. The trauma that you can go through doing it, or the, the dangers of it. And all of a sudden here, he's like, no, Saru, you're doing it. Yeah, we seem to be seeing mind melts happening forcibly more and more often, and I am not cool with that. Yeah, it seems very violating. Yeah, I mean, it even happened in Star Trek Into Darkness, where Spock mind melded with Captain Christopher Pike. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As Pike was dying, I mean... Could there be a more personal experience that you wouldn't want to share with somebody? Other than the... I mean, like, Spock did it to McCoy, and McCoy carried his Katra. That's true. So I guess the history of forced mind melds goes back to Star Trek II. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually have not seen every episode of TOS. I don't know if it happened back then. I wouldn't uh, be surprised. It, it happened here and there. I can't honestly cannot remember the nature of nature of them, though. But for something that is so intimate, and for a species that is supposed to be a pacifist society, I'm surprised to see mind meld being used so often. Yeah, at least in a society. Well, they just came to terms recently that, you know, this isn't the worst thing in the world. So maybe everyone's like, yeah, hippie land, let's do it all the time. Wait, what do you mean they came to terms? Uh, in Enterprise era, 100 years before this or so, Vulcans were very much, nope, my melding is the worst thing done by a, like a, a not a faction, a rogue element of Vulcan society. And it is terrible and evil, and no one should ever do it. Right, and that's referring not just to consensual or non-consensual, but in any context, this yeah. is not something to be done. Yeah. Enterprise is terrible, terrible allegory for AIDS. It's totally what they were going for, is making, making a, in the episode anyway, in, a queer connection between uh, gay people and AIDS that was prominent in the 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah, when, when you say that mind meld is like AIDS, you mean it, that mind meld is like gay sex? There was a allegory, but people, the people who use it is too dangerous, and you'll, and you did, you catch disease, you can catch diseases from it, uh, which T'Pol did. I mean, it's been a long time since I've watched Enterprise. Did she catch some sort of a mental affliction from mind melding with somebody? Yeah, was it Bendai syndrome? Was it was it the Bendai syndrome that something like that? It was some Vulcan disease that only Vulcans can get from it. And how did they ever work around that? Did they come up with a cure for it? I don't recall. Let's see, I was just watching this while I was making lunch. Flox was trying to get uh, research to help study it more because she had it for like a year, 
And the Vulcans are like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's not like, listen, listen, Vulcan dudes, like, there's totally no reason for me to study this, except for there's a, there's a denobulin who is studying some disease. It's very similar. And the Vulcans are like, hmm, let us think about it. And then they're like, aha, we discovered T'Pol had it. And we only have research on it. So I think she had it for a while. I don't think he just all of a sudden had a cure for it. I think she had to live with it. Okay, sorry for everyone that 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 was me <laughs> unscrambling what I watched, and that was not me trying to retell. <laughs> That's how the sapial brain works. <laughs> no worries. And I just pulled this up a bit in Memory Alpha. This is the Pinar syndrome that she was afflicted with when another Vulcan who had not been properly trained in the use of his mental abilities initiated a mind meld with her. All right. Uh, it says the disease and its cure were known in Surak's time, but much of it had been lost by the 22nd century. Okay, okay. Yes, the disease was caused by Vulcans who were not properly trained, which we can assume that Sarek was. Oh, I'm sure, 100 years later. Yes. Uh, also on this boarding party was the Endorian that we saw here, the same yeah. Endorian. <laughs> yes, it was. I was going to bring that up. It was the same Endorian that was part of Sarek's cabal in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, so I watched this episode this morning. Um, I, was, I was watching the Super Bowl last night with friends, and my friend Justin said, hey, you can blame me for watching it late. I'm like, okay, I will blame you on the, on the podcast for watching it late. But uh, <laughs> anyway, this morning when I was watching it, I'm like, oh my god, did the, did the group from the Mirror Universe somehow survive it on the bridge? Because the Tellarite was there too. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, and I can see it the second viewing too. Like, oh my god. Uh, yeah, we had the same folks who were, except for Admiral Cornwell. She was the only one that was not in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, so it's interesting how the fates tend to put the same people together. And it wasn't the only Andorian we saw in this episode. There was another one projected holographically who I think was an Admiral. That was the same one. Wait, really? Wait, but he Oh, was... wait, no, 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 no. You're right, you're right, you're right. No, no. Okay, so there were two Andorians, one who was yeah. physically aboard the Discovery and one who was beaming in for the Admiral Conference. Yeah, because they wouldn't have set the Admiral to go in a hostile situation. Well, okay, Star desperate times call for desperate measures, but I don't think it was the same one. It would be weird if the Andorian was on board at the beginning of the episode and then off board suddenly somewhere else. Yeah. But yeah, I actually had the same reaction at first that I was wondering if this was the mirror Andorian because the way they showed up forcing themselves onto the ship yeah. and pulling guns on everybody did not seem like a very Starfleet way to behave. It didn't seem that way but you know from their viewpoint the discovery had been gone for nine months. Right so this also very nonchalantly answered the question that we have had for a long time which was while the USS Discovery was in the mirror universe and they switched places with the ISS Discovery, what was that evil ship doing in our prime universe? And it turns out oh my. it got destroyed by Klingons. Yeah, can you imagine sitting there, Captain Killy, all of a sudden you're in a new universe, and all of a sudden you have Klingons attacking you. I bet you she went out with a, with a hell of a fight. The only way I could justify that such a demonic, aggressive ship could have been so easily dispatched was that we saw the USS Discovery warp into the mirror universe, in the remains of a battleground, mm -hmm. there were, you know, a lot of carcasses of ships around. So probably the ISS Discovery took heavy damage and then suddenly found themselves in the Prime Universe in the middle of a Klingon war. Yeah, and, and you know, there might have been more than one Klingon ship. I can't recall off the top of my head, but I think there were multiple in pursuit of Discovery. Or about to be. You mean at the end of the first half of the first season? Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember them being in pursuit. I, I, th think, I thought they I think had they a... were trying to get away... Because they knew more Klingons were coming. Okay, that would make sense. I, I, I'm going to be rewatching these soon, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's what the, the chain of events. And if I'm not 
correct, you can send a comment to the show or just wait until a few months when I correct myself. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I can I can definitely see if other Klingons were en route and what they found was a scarred ISS discovery damaged from a previous battle in the other universe that the ISS, while in the middle of getting their bearings on what the heck just happened, would be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Still, though, does this require that the ISS Discovery was trying to warp at the same time the USS was for them to switch places? I don't think so. Well, I don't think so. I think, uh, well, you know, we don't know. Uh, they they didn't have the spore drive, so that's out of the question. Right, because it's not necessarily true that going between universes automatically switches who you're with. Otherwise, doubles would never meet each other. Right, well, Kirk never met his double. Yeah, but I guess they were both transporting. But like when Ash Tyler went to the Mirror Universe, Voke didn't disappear. Yeah, maybe Ash Tyler did. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> it's like in the movie Time Cop with Jean Claude Van Damme, where oh the same matter can't occupy the same space at the same time. I don't think that applies here. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. <laughs> and and I heard your little muttering there. Don't say that I can't compare Star Trek to Time Cop. I didn't say that at all. You implied it. You said, oh, God. No, I didn't. I said, oh, my God, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever diss any Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. They're all fantastic. Yeah, it's like Street Fighter, the movie, huh? I know, right? <laughs> Whew, we could do a whole episode on that, but let's keep going. <laughs> During the conference room where we discovered the ISS Discovery got destroyed, uh, Admiral Cornwell was talking about Prime Lorca, the realization that he was sent there as well. And she made the comment, there's no way he, a Starfleet officer could survive. On their own. However, on their own. However, we didn't see him die. Star Trek canon means it's possible he can come back. Of course. So, I want to throw that out there in case it happens in the future. No, oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> Another thing what? I was going to bring up. <laughs> I what, what, what? Smoke because when they told Cornwell about Mira Lorca... How does she <laughs> get over it? Or how does she work through her feelings? She takes her phaser and blows up the bowl of fortune cookies that Lorca always had. <laughs> I lost you didn't blow up the triple. Yeah, I don't know what happened to the triple, but that's what made me think of it was we never got to see the triple. They were totally teasing us with the triple Klingon thing. Like, are we going to see it? Are we going to see it? And it never happened. Because that was what we saw with Arn Darvin in Star Trek Trouble with Tribbles. That's right. It was a Klingon or a, a triple gave it away. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry, got a little excited there. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> anyway, I like Admiral Cornwell, and I hope no, I hope she's able to get her human sensibilities back next week before destroying the Klingon homeworld, which we know doesn't happen. Oh, there's one last thing I had to bring up, which I thought was hilarious. Before even the whole Cornwell thing, apparently in those moments after arriving back in the Prime Universe, Soru's like, hey, get someone out there to repaint the ship back to USS. It's important. Apparently, it was top priority. Right. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't want somebody else firing on them. No, nope. Like, what does ISS stand for? But anyway, yeah, I got a kick out of that. Like, <laughs> get someone out there to fix that paint. <laughs> so the war within, I think, also could talk about uh, what uh, Emperor Georgia was up to. Oh, yeah. So now she is aboard and she is a guest of Starfleet. <laughs> She's confined to quarters oh on deck God. three. Okay. Yeah. Let's, I, I, first of all, the transporter room scene. At uh, the beginning of the episode, Saru is like, all right, let's go see what Michael's up to. And he walks in the transporter room and Emperor Jojo is like, <laughs> takes out her phaser rifle. <laughs> I was like, Neil, slave. <laughs> He's like, what is going on here? Michael's like, no, no, no. She's ca He's captain. And the Emperor is like, Huh. 
Yesterday we were eating Kelpian and today you're bowing to one. Right. <laughs> and he's like, what is going on? I think Saru pretty quickly figured out that this was not his Georgiou. Oh, yeah. He, he uh, yeah. And then the, he, again, Michael's lying to him. <laughs> I think he, he accepted this one though as he, uh, as Giorgio is freaking out, having like being a smart ass, smart aleck, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, can tra- transporter room dude, beam her to quarters and lock the door." <laughs> but he actually took that situation very well. I think. Uh, I think. I think Captain Saru is an amazing captain, and he he is coming to his own. Yeah, I don't think that Burnham necessarily lied to him because I thought his question was, "Have you seen any Kelpians?" Not. Are there any Kelpians? Well, at that point, um, she had not eaten one yet. Uh, right, she had met Mira Saru. Yeah. But my point is that in this episode that we just watched, he's accused her of lying to him about whether or not there are Kelpians in the Mirror universe. And that's a broad statement that I don't think she ever made. I think she said she had never seen any. Yeah, basically, Georgiou is under house arrest. Uh, we had a meeting of the mines. Um, well, she was in there, the admirals and... Sarah all had a meeting like, hey, this is what happened. Uh, the Federation lo- kept uh, losing land to uh, Klingons who are not acting as one. We had, oh my god, this is awful. We had Klingons um, who were just cloaking behind ships as they're going to Starbase and blowing up the Starbase. We had another one where Klingons just totally ruined the atmosphere of a planet. And yeah, it's and then yeah, that's pretty bad. That's some bad stuff the Federation has gone through since we last saw them. During this, like, oh yeah, we also have one more thing for you, Admiral. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, you have an emperor from another <laughs> another dimension. And uh, so yeah, Cornwall goes to talk to her. And oh, I wrote some things down that Cornwall said that made me go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Admiral Cornwall is talking to the emperor. She said a line, I think, which I think will do maybe, I don't want to say Admiral's undoing, but then, oh, I got to watch my words because Admiral said, you're our guest make yourself at home. And the Admiral turned away and then the camera watches towards the Emperor as she sits there and contemplatively. I think she's like sitting there, how can I twist these words? So how can I get my mechanizations going? Because hmm. she's obviously been plotting something. The Emperor of the Terran Empire is not one to sit idle. Right. She mentions like, and oh yeah, they're like, oh yeah, you're just going to go to Starbase and you won't be in jail, but you'll be questioned and we might send you home if we can figure it out, but we're at war. Whatever. So the cap for so she's like, whatever, I'm not sitting around waiting for you in her own mind. She says this. And so she's already got her own plan going. I thought that was like, all right, cool. And then a little bit later, she's like, hey, uh, Michael, I know you want to take care of things. Because Michael asked her like, hey, in your empire, you defeated the Klingons. How'd you do it? Emperor told her how, how they did so. They attacked the Klingon homeworld. Michael got some ideas on how to attack the Klingon homeworld. Michael's like, all right, we're going to go science the heck out of this. Then we had an interesting meeting of the minds. We had the Emperor summoned Sarek to talk to her, which we had. An, this was very interesting because both Sarek and uh, Georgia were, Michael was both their wards. They were surrogate parents. Yep. So there's there's basically like, well, my Burnham did this, well, my Burnham did that. <laughs> and they were even comparing like which one of their daughters was better than the other. Or worse. <laughs> that was some sort of weird rivalry going on there. <laughs> Yeah, and then Georgia was like, hey, Sarah, is it not logical for uh, you to do whatever you can to save lives? And she says, give me what I want, and I can assure you victory for the Federation. And he's like, what are your terms? And she wants freedom. So whatever that's going to mean. But basically, she had a secondary plan that she didn't tell Michael. She only told Michael enough of what she needed to know. 
And so she went to Sarek with a, a plan to do more. And Sarek brought those plans to Cornwell and the rest of the Admirals, and they all approved the plans. Yeah, which I thought it was very, it's very subtle, but um, over comms, they talk about the vague plan of, no, we can't send Discovery to Klingons because the Discovery can't warp or can't jump. and It'll just warp in and get blown out of the sky. Sarek's like, oh, well, I got to go back to Vulcan. I'm going to go do that. And he gets back there. And then he tells the actual plan that uh, George Zhao came up with in person. I'm thinking that was a subtle little thing because we don't want to tell our plans over comms when the enemies could be listening. I'm not sure that's why he left the ship. It seems like he has another role to play. Well, I, um, well after he went back to Vulcan, he said all of a sudden the plan was activated. Because he, he, the order of events was tell the plan or tell a vague version of the plan. Like, that'll never work. Okay, that will never work. And he's like, oh, I have to go. And then he goes home, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, we got this plan. And we're going to do it now. I think uh, he was basically telling them in secret, not over voice comms where someone could hear him. That's possible. Yeah, I think there's just a neat little thing. I don't know if it actually is relevant to the story. I feel like we're seeing a lot of traditional Star Trek alien races acting counter to their stereotypes. For example... As we just mentioned regarding mind melts, Vulcans are supposed to be pacifists, and we see Sarek seemingly advocating for whatever Emperor Georgiou's plan is, which we assume is tantamount to genocide. It sure seems like that. Maybe, I, th- I don't think it'll ever happen, but it does seem like that, doesn't it? That is not what pacifism is. Pacifism is not, we will not take up arms and make the first strike. It is, we will not even defend ourselves, really. I mean, it's... We will not sink to the level of our enemy in order to defend ourselves. And that is exactly what it seems Starfleet is doing, because Georgiou, she is the leader of the Terran Empire. They have little regard, if any, for any alien life. And what she is implying that Starfleet do, and we don't know the full details yet, we only know as much as Burnham does right now, really, is that they are going to warp into... The caves beneath Kronos. Somehow Stamets has that level of fine detail over his jump, even though he can miss our entire universe by nine months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not just release mapping drones, but apparently aboard Discovery is something they can use or do something with that will destabilize probably the whole planet. I mean, we're probably looking at a red matter level extinction event, like what happened on Vulcan. Yeah. And then we also have the Klingons making all these attacks against Starfleet property and territory, even committing suicide attacks. And I'm pretty sure that when the Klingons were on our side in the Dominion War and they saw the Jem'Hadar committing suicide acts, that they called them cowards and called those acts cowardly. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's not a very honorable act to Klingons. Unless uh, that sacrifice will save more Klingons, you know. But I don't think that qualifies here. Right, I mean, I can see how they might argue that my death will send that many more people to hell, so I will be in Stovokor while my enemy's souls burn. Mm-hmm. But it, it does not seem very honorable to f- not even face your enemies face-to-face, to just ram your ship into them and they're gone. Yeah, that's not very uh, honor- clingable, cling- clingable. <laughs> honorable for Klingons. Right. Clingable. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we have already seen that these Klingons are not like any other Klingons we've known before, and this really cements that. Yeah. Um, this will be interesting how this turns out. And also, one of the ways that they're going to jump into the caves of Kronos is by terraforming a moon. Yeah, uh, it's a kind of saw a little hint of like a proto-genesis device. 
Yeah, there was a thread on Reddit that said if Stamet somehow comes out of this whole series alive, they wouldn't be surprised if he goes on to be involved in the Genesis ah. project in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, interesting. I hear I was just like, oh, they're making a little nod, but... <laughs> it might be more than that. Yeah. It might be a plot tie-in. Maybe, maybe like, oh, I couldn't use the mycelial network anymore, but hey. But when they terraformed this moon in the latest episode of Discovery, I was a little confused because on one hand, they said they're out of spores. On the other hand, they have enough to fill up all these projector devices that implanted themselves into the moon's surface. That confused me too. He had one one sample left and all of a sudden, unless they chopped that into like 30 different pieces. Right, if they made cuttings from it or something. Yeah. Which is possible, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know where all those mushrooms came from and how they were able to speed them up when the previous batch took years to cultivate. What, they used used rhizomes and EM darts? Yeah, the plot devices. (laughs) They used plot devices. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I guess I can see that. Sorry, that's my Star Trekism for just like we need to think, we need the techno babble. Here mm-hmm. you go. Here's the techno babble. No, it's true. You're right. You're you're very right. I, not that I'm I I don't like that at all. It's just a lot of times like you have to just unfortunately with sci-fi take things for a grain of salt because it it's the way it is because it's the way it is. Right. Oh oh oh. We also got an answer today why Starfleet will no longer use spore spore jumping. Why is that? Or they classified it in the episode. They said, like, well, hey, on knowledge of this information gets out that there's another alternate universe, people, who knows how people use it? Like, especially now where you've got people at war, they've lost loved ones. Imagine if you tell them all of a sudden there's this other universe where they might be still alive. You think that's why they don't use the mushroom drive? Because it's capable of transcending the well dimensional barrier? It's very, po- it's, it seems like they implied here, like, that was the reasoning they were giving around the table anyway. Hmm. That's the exact reasoning. Given what a tactical advantage the mushroom drive gives them, though, I'd be surprised. Like, if if in that roundtable where they said that, they said this information must be buried, we cannot let the existence of a mirror universe be known, and somebody else were to say, even if it means getting rid of our mushroom drive, mm-hmm. I bet everybody else would be like, oh, let's rethink that. Yeah, it's still possible that um, Section 31 uses it the way that Sloan would bounce around. Oh, that's interesting. We never saw them go to the mirror universe, though, as far as we know. Well, as far as we know. But that wasn't the plot device of the week either. I was surprised that when they said the reason why they can't let the mirror universe knowledge get out, which is exactly what you just said about individuals wanting to see their dead loved ones, which we actually saw in DS9 with Cisco, why they didn't also say, hey, imagine if a warmongering race got a hold of this. This would be a whole new territory that yeah. they could try to claim. Or uh-huh. imagine that there is a race that's being victimized by a warmongering race and they needed somewhere to escape to. And they went to the Terran Empire hoping for relief for sanctuary and they just ended up in even more danger. I mean, yeah. those are much larger scale implications for the Mirror Universe than, oh, this individual wants to see their loved one. It might have been just the temporary example, just to t- give people like, hey, this is the start of, like, this is one example. I mean, it was a meeting room and Stamets is like, hey, this is what's up. Right. I mean, it's a valid example, but I feel like there are bigger fish to fry as well. Yeah, yeah. What else about the whole Klingon and Georgiou plotline do we want to discuss? Oh, uh, <laughs> the ending. Okay, so, okay, beginning. And then I'm going to jump right to the ending. Uh, in the transporter room, Saru tells the transporter guy who is in the room, he's like, who obviously saw Emperor Georgiou. <laughs> Saru tells them something like, the presence of a Terran person on the ship is classified, and if I hear any of this, uh, it's treason. 
then all of a sudden, end of the episode, Admiral is like, hey, uh, look at here, Captain Georgiou's back. She was rescued, totally. It was her, no one else. She's right here. <laughs> and uh, that one dude is always going to know, besides the main crew who were there. Yeah, trekmovie.com is recommending that that crewman stay away from any airlocks. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden we have Captain Georgiou is on the bridge, and these folks have to just kind of well, for one, you have the trauma, traumatization of of all these crew members who thought she was dead. All of a sudden, she's alive again. There are only three people on Discovery who are also on the Shenzhou. Uh, well, we had, um, was an android lady there? We had Detmer. We had Tilly. No, not Tilly. Uh, we had Detmer, Burnham, Saru. I think that's it. I thought we had more. I don't think Daft Punk or Ariel was on the Shenzhou. No? Okay. Maybe I'm mistaken. It's been a while. Since I've seen those first episodes. Detmer was very excited to see Georgiou back. And I was disappointed because Detmer just was in the mirror universe with everybody else. She should know, oh, wait, we all have doppelgangers. I don't think it's going to take her long to put that together. I hope so. I think she's smarter than that. I hope she's smarter than that. You know, I feel like we got more lines from mirror Detmer in one episode than we've gotten from Prime Detmer in the entire season. I think you you might be right or as dang close, because, yeah, Mirror Detmer was cool. It talked a lot more. Yeah, and it had even more severe eyebrows. <laughs> uh, but also, when we saw various people's reactions on Discovery to the new captain, it made me wonder, are there any white male humans on the bridge of the Discovery, now that Lorca's gone? Uh, There was a... Oh, he's black. Uh... <laughs> No, uh, when Voke is not there, uh, or excuse me, Ash Tyler's not there, uh, huh, actually, unless there's a random, random ensign pushing buttons in the background, uh, I'm gonna say no. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, talk about infinite diversity and infinite combinations. <laughs> yeah, huh, interesting catch. Did you see it coming that Emperor Georgiou was going to become Captain Georgiou? No, I didn't see that coming. I mean, last week we thought, you know, it was going to be some kind of time travel device where she sacrifices herself. But that was based off information that we thought was faulty. Whoa, 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 whoa. When you say we thought that, you mean you thought that. The royal we, Ken. (laughs) Because now I'm really thinking that that Burnham is going to have to kill Georgiou. Yeah. (laughs) We saw in the very first episode of Discovery, Burnham pull a phaser on Georgiou. And I, I think that's going to happen again. I think she's going to say, you're going about this the wrong way. I can't let you go about this. Again, yeah. The very first time, Burnham was trying to avoid a war with the Klingons. And I think <laughs> she's going to do something again to avoid, maybe not a war, but genocide of the Klingons. The same people are going to see her do it again. Detmer is going to be like, oh, that again. <laughs> <laughs> Rerun. When Captain Georgiou stepped aboard the bridge of the discovery i felt like i should have seen this coming and it took a second or two for my brain to catch up i obviously saw the over the shoulder view of georgiou stepping on board in a discovery uniform and i thought to myself has she gotten some sort of a field commission that they're gonna you know conscript this terran and then i realized no oh my god they are gonna make her pretend to be captain georgiou and then when this war is over she gets her freedom she gets to go do whatever she wants that's exactly what she wanted, was her freedom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I really feel like this is such a brilliant move. At the same time, it was kind of obvious in hindsight, but not in foresight, because I didn't see it coming. Right, right. And, and um, oh, I, I wrote this down and I didn't bring it up. 
what is she up to? Because when she summoned, uh, she got uh, Sarek into her quarters to give her this secondary plan that she didn't tell Michael. She said, I want to help you win this war. No one asks why. Right. She has no stake in this, other than the fact that she's a bloodthirsty warmonger. Yeah. I mean, the only her terms were freedom, but that wasn't... No, she didn't say why she wants to help them win this war, unless she wants to stop, try to rebuild a Terran Empire or something like that. That's just the thing about conquering or subjugating a race, is that you can do it only once, unless you go <laughs> to another universe. Yeah, so it seems like a stretch for one episode that she's going to try to rebuild a, tempire, a Terran Empire here. Like, hey, I've <laughs> got all this land for picking here. I'm going to do it again. Even Burnham is kind of buying into this because she originally asked Mirror Vogue, how did you unify the Klingons? And now she's saying to Mirror Georgiou, the time for peace has passed. How do you conquer the Klingons? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, even Laurel told Cornwell, we've tasted your blood. Either conquer us or be conquered. Oh, my God. And this whole I, I sent you a message on Twitter. <laughs> I had this little paraphrasing of the episode. <laughs> Laurel, humans want to commit genocide. And Cornwell's like, no, we don't. We're Starfleet. That's not our thing. And then Georgia's like, the only way to win this war is to commit genocide. Cornwell's like, okay, we'll commit genocide. <laughs> and right. Then, that's what we saw this week. Yeah, that was this week. And then next week, Laurel's going to be like, I told you. And Burnham is going to be like, no, we don't want to commit genocide. Cornwell would be like, but we need to commit genocide. Burnham is like, no, we don't. We're Starfleet. That's not our thing. And then Cornwell would be like, you're right. That's not our thing. Something, 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 Federation wins. <laughs> <laughs> so Cornwall is very open to, su to suggestion. <laughs> she's desperate. And we get to see, actually, she's broken right now. I mean, when they discovered the Starbase was captured. The Starbase that was 100 AUs from yeah, Earth. There, apparently, there's some time, uh, there's some distance problems in this episode. Are they also going to do the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs? Yeah. Uh <laughs> because 100 AUs puts that... M-class planet that it was around, somewhere in the Kuiper Belt, like around planet X. I mean, they did mention it's basically Earth's back door, but that seems very close. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the mysterious planet X has finally been discovered by Star Trek history. <laughs> and how did the Klingons defeat a starbase with 80,000 personnel and three starships? I mean, we don't know how many Klingons went there. We don't know their tactics. And you know what? If they just, uh, we don't know. We don't know the details. It just They just did it. But the implication is that the Klingons are more ruthless now that they are divided into 24 houses than they were when they were unified into one coordinated task force. So they could have just uh, deactivated the power somehow, for let that go for a good 20 minutes, and then uh, life support, whatever, and then... But still, how does 124th of the Klingon Empire, without any other houses for backup, manage such devastation? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Maybe, I mean, we don't know. Maybe two of them helped each other in this one. I don't know. I don't know either. They just didn't tell us the information. I'm... It was basically, yay, we're home. Oh, no, home is gone. Oh, someone's living at home. And let's go. <laughs> and then that's all we saw. I'm surprised that nobody has yet suggested the possibility of using the mycelial network to go back nine months. I know, right? Because things are getting to such a state that I don't know how the directors and producers of the show can explain this level of devastation to the Federation in the Star Trek timeline. Well, to be honest, we knew nothing about this war other than there was a war before. We knew nothing about it. We didn't know Jack Squat. So it all still fits. It's just 
Oh, this is worse than we thought. But you would think that some Klingon would have said to Kirk 10 years later, hey, remember that time we captured 20% of your entire territory, huh, huh? I mean, if you want to talk about Enterprise as a garbage scout, <laughs> like the Axonar thing before it turned into crap, uh, they were hinting, they did a big little bit about the Klingon war and it sounded pretty bad too. So, hey. Oh, that's the independent Star Trek film that did it get made? No, uh, the prelude to Axonar did oh, get okay. made. It had uh, people even reprising some of their Star Trek roles talking about the Klingon War as if uh, it actually happened in a documentary. and uh, Or talking in a documentary about the Klingon War. And it was really good. And then all of a sudden, you know, mess with XNR happened. But So that provides even more context for why Paramount or CBS suddenly, after years right. of indie films, wanted <laughs> to put, shut down this one because it was encroaching on the exact story and era they want to tell and discover. You're right. You're right. Huh. I mean, besides the whole fact that the XNR guys were being complete jerk faces, but... Well, that's a tale for another podcast. <laughs> All right, are we done with the Georgiou plotline? Yeah, that's good. Great. So let's talk about the war within, specifically uh. the one with Voke slash Ash Tyler, who we last saw two episodes ago with Laurel doing brain surgery on him, supposedly to eliminate the Voke persona from this body, from this mind. We still don't know why Laurel did that, what incentive she had to do it, but it seems like Ash Tyler is now fully in control of himself. Yeah, this turns out her Klingon death well, or her your Klingon death yell was to. More in the passing of Voke. Yeah, because we saw no evidence of Voke this week. Ash Tyler says he can still access all of Voke's memories. Yeah, oh, this uh, this whole thing left me feeling very mad. Mad? Why? Because not a single person on this ship gave a damn about how Michael felt. <laughs> Everyone's like, you should go talk to him, you should go talk to him. Like, no, he tried to kill... All she's going to see when she looks at him is the guy who tried to kill her. Like, that's... What is going to be like? I, from personal experience of abusers, like no. <laughs> yeah, I mean that whole storyline had some chilling tone for those who have experienced domestic abuse. Yeah, like Saru, Saru can even tell you was like, you sh you should just go talk to him. <laughs> like, oh, I felt so creeped out. Like, no. How many of them do you think know what happened on the other ship? I think they all knew. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they do know. They did know. Uh, they did know, or they knew rumors or heard rumors. But we don't. We don't know. But I assume eventually Saro will get a debriefing if he didn't have one already. And when Burnham eventually did go to talk to Tyler, oh my God, Ugh. he <laughs> wow, he started hitting below the belt really fast. Yeah, the whole entitled dude trying like no, but you're just in love with my. Or you're just mad at my background and not me. Like oh. I was revolted by this. And he's really underselling what happened by saying, oh, you want to run because things got complicated. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hate this part of the storyline, like, no. <laughs> wow, what a jerk. Yeah. Like, oh, my whole crew backs me up, but you won't because things got complicated just because I'm a Klingon that killed your parents? Yeah, and, and oh, we go totally skipped over another part where he had his conversation with Stamets. <laughs> oh, Girl, well, we, did, like we, we didn't skip over. We just oh, hadn't we gone hadn't to it yet. yet. But yeah, yeah oh. I mean, I kind of liked Stamets' closing remark when they encountered, because like he asked, does it still gut you? Does it tear you up? And Burnham and Tyler said, yeah. And Stamets was like, good, maybe you're still human. And then he walked away. I felt like that was less hateful than Stamets was allowed to say. He yeah. has every reason yeah. to hate this guy, but instead he gave him hope, saying, your emotions are evidence that you're getting better, is basically what he said. Yeah. 
Oh, I, I, I was totally not interested in uh, the Vokes thing last time, and this time, the first time watching it, other than being disgusted, I was like, oh, oh my god, I still don't care about this. <laughs> and then I had this happen. I'm like, oh my god, I watched it the second time. Like, you entitled jerk. <laughs> like, who, no. Who is still allowed to roam the ship and have lunch with his crewmates? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I get it. You weren't in your right mind because you weren't you. But to to be mad at someone for not being able to look past that hours after, maybe days even after the events, to say that they're the ones who are the problem? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I did like the behavior of his crewmates at lunch. I thought it was yeah. really cool that Tilly sat with him, and then Detmer came over and said, welcome back, and then everybody else came over. I liked that. Yeah, it was the total opposite of what Michael got, too. I think the behavior of the crewmates at lunch, although wonderful and preferable, it's unfair to expect it of them. Mm-hmm. And I think Burnham and Stamets, most of all, have reason to hold on to their anger. Yeah, and at least more than, you know, it's only been a few hours or days at most. Right. We don't know the exact timeline, but yeah, I, I was very mad at this. I, oh. <laughs> but I guess we do have some clarity into the future of Vogue. We still don't know why he was killed by Laurel, but he does seem to be gone. There is perhaps some tactical advantage to having Vogue's memories when you're in a Klingon war. But also, he was the first person in the Klingon Empire to undergo this species reassignment surgery. Yeah, so oh, I, I did like some of the terminology they used uh, when talking about it. Like what? Um, Dr. Uh, Pollard, the, the doctor overseeing him, mentioned that the patient presents as Ash Tyler. I'm like, oh, that's actually very nice wording. <laughs> Given that, but like, I, I liked that. And... But uh, then, yeah, we get to see that this is a hint to uh, the trouble with triples. We get to see Arn Darvin right. was a Klingon agent. Another Klingon pretending to be human, except this time he was in full control of his psyche. Yeah, which, oh my god, we also never got to use the triple thing to see if it would work. I know. I think that was intentional. Do we have anything else to say about Voke? I hope the storyline gets fixed real quick, because I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Do you think he's going to remain a permanent fixture aboard the Discovery? He's a good actor. I mean... So it'd be cool if he is, but they better figure out what to do with him that's not uh, being all like a little lost, uh, entitled person to Michael. Well, you know, in the opening credits this week, they still listed Jason Isaacs. Did they? I didn't watch it that closely. It's likely that the principal actors are fixed for the remainder of the season, and then maybe in season two they can update it, swap some people out. Michelle Yao is still listed as a special guest, and that can change week to week, like we saw with Rain Wilson. Mm-hmm. But... This guy is in the credits for the rest of the of the season. And by the way, I liked, speaking of Jason Isaacs, how you point out that there is symmetry to the entire season, where oh, yeah, yeah. we started off with two episodes with Captain Georgiou, and then Isaacs was introduced. And we're ending the season with two episodes with Captain Georgiou, immediately before which Isaacs was removed. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting... Uh, I, I pointed that out to him on Twitter in a message, like, oh, it's interesting. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it's interesting. And you said that this supports Susan Arndt's theory that the first two episodes were filmed later? Yeah, I think so, because all of a sudden, like, why would you have, beginning of the season, hire Michelle Yao to come in for two and a sixteenth of an episode, and all of a sudden, like, weeks later, like, hey, we're going to need you to come back to the set. I know you're busy, sorry. We're going to film some more. So I think they filmed these and like, hey, 
since we got you, I'll give you more money. I would stick around, do a couple more episodes. And she's like, yeah, sure. So you think the Vulcan Holo and the Battle of the Binary Stars was filmed at the same time they were doing The War Without, The War Within, etc.? I, I think so now. You know, after I had heard Susan's hypothesis, I went back and watched those episodes, and I, the acting still felt kind of rigid to me. But I don't know. So I think it supports it, but doesn't prove it. How about that? I mean, I still like the narrative implications for Susan's theory, but I still am confused by how episodes like this, The War Without, The War Within, where Emperor Georgiou is suddenly Captain Georgiou, how that would be impactful if that was the first time we were seeing Captain Georgiou alive. Yeah, and it might not have been. I kind of feel like we need those first two episodes to have the emotional punch at the end of the season. There there may have been more in, you know, previously filmed that... We didn't get to see, or you know, it was on the cutting room floor because of the rewrites. Right. So there's, it's very possible there was more hmm. uh, with her throughout the season too. Well, we'll find out if she survives next week and will be showing up in future seasons because there's just one more episode left this season. Oh, sad. <laughs> before we sign off, there's one other thing I want to talk about, which was that the day before this episode aired, I watched another performance by Doug Jones, that being in The Shape of Water. How did you watch it? What'd you think? I have not seen it. So this is a current theatrical release that has received a lot of Oscar nominations. He plays an amphibious man. This is set probably like in the 1950s, 1960s, during the Cold War. He does not have any spoken lines in the entire movie, but he does, as he does in Discovery, have a fantastic physical performance, just the way he carries himself, the way he conveys being otherworldly. Uh, there is some limited sign language in the movie, uh, mm-hmm. more limited by him, more s- significant by the female lead. Uh, but I was especially focused on Doug Jones, because I had never really seen him in much else besides Pan's Labyrinth and Star Trek Discovery. I've never seen Hellboy, for example. I have not either. And I thought that he did a great job. It was a nuanced performance for someone who's under so many layers of latex. And I thought it was a great movie. Oh, that's awesome. And it made me more aware of his body watching Discovery. Like, for example, just watching this latest episode, the way he swings his arms behind him as he moves. I think he's been doing that all season, but I never really noticed it until now. He brings so much to the character, the way he moves. It's fascinating the way he uh, walks on hooves and the way he carries, him- carries himself. Yeah. Um, it's the word you used. Uh, I just couldn't, couldn't spit it out again. But yeah, he does it so well. And he brings so much life to these alien creatures that like so few have been able to do behind prosthetics. Yeah. I think there was an article that you and I read that basically said most Star Trek aliens are humans with prosthetics, whereas Saru really does look and act like something from somewhere else that we haven't seen before. And that's yeah. largely in part to Doug Jones. Yeah, I, he, he is incredible. He he does things with uh, makeup and whatever uh, to characters that you ne- you rarely see from other actors who aren't just hired for their acting and not their ability outside of it. I agree. Well, I think that sums up our review of The War Without, The War Within. We have one episode left to go. Again, spoiler, the name of that episode is Will You Take My Hand? And then this show will continue to air while we fill in the very long seven months (laughs) until season two, episode one. Yeah. 
there may be a couple of breaks here and there while we go off and pursue other things, but we will definitely continue to air Transporter Lock. But you don't have to worry about that yet because we're going to be back on the air just a week from now. Yeah, one week ago, one week to go, and I'm excited. All right, so until next week, I'm Ken. I'm Sabriel. Emperor. You wish. <laughs> Live long and prosper. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. All right, so uh, let's jump somewhere else. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's the Star Trek Discovery motto. (laughs) Yeah, let's jump somewhere else.